For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Good evening. Welcome to today's Entrepreneur presented by FL Montreal, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL's Josh Miller, frantically trying to loosen up all, uh, all the, uh, tie up all the loose ends uh, to head off to Hong Kong tomorrow, Josh. Hello, Dan. That's right. Uh, off on a plane tomorrow. I'm adding a little leg. I'm adding Singapore this time. Nice. Uh, it's, uh, it's a phenomenal place that I've heard and some clients that are doing business there. So we'll see what that part of the world uh, brings in addition to all the fun stuff in Hong Kong. And you're there at least a couple times a year these days. Um, why is it important for you to go to Hong Kong? So for us, uh, Hong Kong is just, uh, you know, it's it's on two fronts. I would say I used to go uh, more so from, you know, a sourcing standpoint to help customers here in Canada deal with the sourcing, deal with negotiating with, with, with suppliers over there. Uh, and then it evolved to there was a tax treaty between Canada and Hong Kong, so it became actually quite favorable to have a, a to a Canadian company to have a subsidiary in Hong Kong, uh, as long as they can you know follow certain rules, they could definitely have a tax advantage. Uh, something that I've spoken many times with customers about, and I would say even more today, it's about you know a half a billion dollars of consume half a billion consumers middle class consumers that are ready to buy so it's how can you bring your your canadian your north american product to china and make it so it's been an evolution over the years it continues to be an exciting part of the world there's lots of money to be had and spent there and that's why i keep going all right, entrepreneurial news and notes of the week. Um, a Quebec city was named as Canada's most entrepreneurial city in 2017. Um, and unfortunately, it's not Montreal. It's not Montreal. It's Sherbrooke. Hmm. Sherbrooke. Who would have th thought Sherbrooke? You know, last week, Dan, or a couple of weeks ago, there was uh, Global Entrepreneurship Week. And there were, throughout, uh, throughout the region, throughout the Quebec region, there were uh, throughout the there were 400 events and activities and as the global entrepreneurship week was measured by the support and the participation and the involvement sherbrooke attracted the most entrepreneurs uh, and it was the most exciting the most the contribution that uh, that global entrepreneurship week saw so they named sherbrooke as the most entrepreneurial city uh, it, it, it's quite something. It was great to see. It's a little bit beyond Eastern townships. Uh, you wouldn't necessarily think that Sherbrooke is at the top of the list. Montreal has been pretty good lately. But it was great to see a, a, a Quebec city that was part of this global movement that got some recognition. You know, as someone from regional Quebec, it doesn't surprise me that the leading city was from, from outside the greater Montreal area because, you know, without government and without all those institutions, you kind of have to be entrepreneurial. No choice. You know, if you want if you want to make it, you want to add to your to your public monies that you get, you you got to find it from somewhere. Um, some big retail drama in Montreal, this case that's uh, making the news about Adidas and the store manager using only um, or mostly English during a store launch. Right. Um, so, so Dan, as, as a PR person, how would you handle that? How would you deal with that French English and, and, and get through the media or, or, or kind of get through to the consumers and, and, and kind of meander your way around it so you don't look like you're on the wrong end of the language stick? So I have, I have almost two different opinions on this. The political opinion I'll say for tomorrow, it's going to be on the Gazette online and in the paper on Wednesday. But uh, as a public relations professional, you have to talk to your, your, your audience in their language. To me, it's inconceivable that someone could have a public launch event in a city like Montreal or anywhere in Quebec and not have that event 
go on mostly in French, especially if it's at a signature location like uh, like the one in downtown Montreal. So it's, you know, there's the government laws, there's the politics and all that, but there's also just the simple politeness of speaking to your customers in their language. Is it a national scandal? I don't think so. Uh, pretty minor PR s- slip. Uh, it did take uh, Adidas about three days, I think, to, to, to apologize for that. So you got to be a bit quicker on the uptake here and, uh, and, and, sort of respect the French reality of Quebec. So I, I you know, no question, if you're, if you're going to deal with an issue, deal with it right away. Don't take three days to deal with yeah. it. But on the other side, for all the Montreal or Quebec entrepreneurs, you know, because there's a lot of video, there's a lot of vlogs, a lot of video podcasts are out there. Do you do it unilingual? Do you do it bilingual? As a PR person, if you're, if you know, as a PR professional, Dan, if you wanted to do it in a single language, do you make sure there's a bilingual component? Do you flip back and forth if you want to educate your customer from time to time? What do you think is is really the best practice for a, a vlog, a, a video podcast? It really depends on uh, on the business and on their audience. So there are a lot of local businesses that that sort of export more of their products to the rest of North America or the rest of the world, in which case something more English-heavy could be more appropriate. But if you have a retail location in Montreal, if you're in the retail business and you're not pre- not f- focusing on that rule of français d'abord, you have a problem. And and that that's something that has to be a reality. And it could be bilingual. It could be it could go back and forth between three or four different languages. But French politically should come first or else that you're just opening yourself up to criticism. You know, it's a debate. It's not really a debate, you know, and it's certainly in our firm at FL, at PVizio, we really try to do things bilingual because it's about knowing your audience and our audience is Montreal and our audience is bilingual. Why would we not want to do it in both languages? Yeah, it's it's crazy and uh, and it's it's just respectful, just common respect, I think. Um, nonetheless, the political side, a little crazy and I'll get to that in my column uh, on Wednesday, but uh, more entrepreneurial news now, um, AI. So we've talked about on the program some some of the bigger AI agencies in Montreal, but there are also a ton of smaller startups. Um, this is pretty interesting. You, you know, uh, AI, and we, we've been talking about this, we spoke about this last season, it continues this season. You know, the, the big companies are here, the the international giants, the AR, and, and Montreal's reputation AR, attracting uh, giants like Google and Samsung and Facebook and Microsoft, but there's there really are a lot of smaller companies that are that are delving in and smaller companies. You know, is you can you can define smaller as a whole bunch of range, but you have you know companies like Imagia that's helping doctors diagnose cancer. That where where the medical and science process. Uh, you know, can can take a lot of time if you program the AI properly. It can diagnose and and really analyze the information that much faster. You know, we we often hear uh, SaaS software as a service in in the marketing in the in the digital field. This is you know I think where they're going is it's the same SaaS model, but it's science as a service. So they're really trying to get the AI in there and getting to diagnose that much faster. So that's uh, Imagia. Uh, you have other other places like KeyText that's using AI to attract consumer feedback. There's so much data out there. How do you manage it? How do you translate it? And it's and the data that's coming from the people are sometimes in context. You know, people type like they're talking. How does how how can a computer really tra- you know translate that into usable data? Well, then if you train your AI to deal with it, uh, then you can certainly do so. So there's there's a number of companies out there that on the are, language front as well. On the language front as well, there's no question because there's a context, there's, you know, there's there's a joual to it sometimes that you really have to translate. So not so easy, but you know what? And it's in Montreal, and Montreal certainly has both languages, 
and there is a concentration of talent here. So there, it's it's a great area to to get going. Cyber Monday today. Um, how can uh, how can other businesses, even small retailers, get in on on the the pre Christmas online game? Well, then, then you know the, this was uh, this was an article uh, that that I came across in the Financial Post. Uh, you know the, where they were outlining a few ways that small businesses can can win the online retail game, and it's 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 a little bit of common sense, but it doesn't hurt to to talk about common sense from all the time. Differentiate your business through your inventory. If you have a unique product, man, blast it out there that is unique, so that it doesn't compare anything else highlight the features that it doesn't have set up shop where the traffic is so you you know if you're if you're online and you know you want to this is where big data comes in of course where you can where you can attack or, or show up your product to the right group of people find out that information is available but you have to pay for it a little bit yeah that's very possible but aim your product to where your to where your traffic is and you know what? Don't wait for the end. Start it early. You know the kind of the the first adopter. Get your get your cyber sales out there early. Let people know about it. You can let it run longer, but get it out there early. Don't let somebody else take your place. Coming up on today's entrepreneur, we'll chat with uh, some people I've chatted with uh, in my other capacity here at CJD. They make the news once in a while. Uh, ticket nine one one. They help people get out of uh, traffic tickets and uh, and other violations. We'll be joined by uh, lawyers Avi Levy and Bernard Levy Susan. They are on the way. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And we'll get to our guests for this evening, Avi Levy and Bernard Levy-Sousson of Ticket 911. You've probably heard them uh, on CJD uh, over the years. Uh, Avi and Bernard, welcome. Thank you. Good evening. So first, easiest question, what is Ticket 911? Ticket 911 is a law firm specializing in fighting traffic violations, DUIs, and uh, criminal uh, charges uh, that are similar in that, in that area, driving-related mainly, DUI, that kind of stuff. But it's kind of more than that. It's it's really an online platform. It's not like you get a ticket and you call and you figure things out. There is an online aspect. Correct. You can go online. You can purchase the package online. You can retain our services online. You can send uh, court dates, messages, questions back and forth online. Yes, it is It is a, a portal, if I can call it that. What about offline? You know, when when you first started this business, was did you really get there to drive the online platform you want it to be quite different than 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 a bunch of other attorneys out there correct absolutely at the beginning that's what we wanted uh, but initially before it started we were getting a lot of phone calls obviously because the website wasn't created at that time now what was the background i mean you guys just didn't hop into the to to, to the law chair at first uh, you definitely had some experience in this so avi what, what was their background before getting in right so i was general counsel for a software company which was very active on the internet and i saw quite a few things you know i learned quite a few things from uh, that position and basically what i wanted to do was take what i learned over there and see how i can apply it to my profession uh, as a lawyer and sort of came up with the concept of prepaid services for that specific market, prepaid legal services for that specific market. Had you seen prepaid services in that market before? 
Uh, not really. I mean, there were competitors uh, in the business before, um, and they were—they had a website, and it, it existed on a small scale. But we really—I took what I learned in my previous uh, uh, position, software life, right? Previous software life, previous career, and sort of applied it to the law, and sort of looked at what I liked and what I didn't like as a lawyer, as a traditional lawyer, and tried to find, you know, try to tailor it so that I can get more of what I like and less of what I didn't like. And Bernard, what was your, your background before you got in this? I had the experience as a prosecutor. So I had 16 years working in municipal courts in this field of tickets and, and criminal files, basically. So as a, you know, just to kind of get into the mindset, 16 years as a, as a prosecutor for a public entity, why do, what's where's the moment there you say you know what I want to go out on my own I want to become an entrepreneur well I was approached by uh, Avi a good friend of mine at the time and uh, he came up with this idea which I believe was very uh, very interesting having seen uh, how many tickets there were how many uh, people needed or certain needed these types of services and I immediately embarked in it now, before you get into this business, guys, do you do you do any research? Do you kind of have some type of plan, business plan? Do you say, you know what, there's a certain number of tickets out there? Like, how, how much was it on faith and how much was it on, on hard data getting into this business? Listen, I'd have to say a lot of it was on faith, but a lot of it was also just the day-to-day life that, for example, Bernard lived. I mean, when I spoke to Bernard about this, he would tell me, Avi, every single day people are calling me for advice. Every single day people need help on their tickets and they really don't know how to fight them themselves and there's no real solution out there. And the reality, if I can continue on that line, the reality is that there are thousands and thousands of tickets being issued throughout the province on a daily basis. So I was managing one courtroom where we had hundreds of cases per day. If you multiply, multiply this by the amount of courts everywhere, it's a, an astronomous amount. So sometimes, Josh, we see a lot of entrepreneurs who are in the public sector spot some kind of inefficiency and then uh, make a business out of it. Is that is that where you're coming from? Absolutely. So yes. so is, is there something wrong with the system, the way that we're getting, handing out tickets? I wouldn't say it, there's something wrong with the system, but there was an, uh, something for us to, to jump into it and, and, and grab. There was an opportunity, I believe, that we saw that there wasn't something wrong with the system. There was sort of something wrong with the way the law firms were running at the time. They were running the same way. It was, you know, pay in advance, pay by the hour. We'll see what happens. And it was very uncertain for the client. That, that's actually an ex- excellent concept because, you know, a lot of professionals, uh, you know, us included to a certain degree, it's an hourly rate. How do you get beyond that hourly rate how do you price yourself how do you how do you know that say you know what we got to start value billing we got to start to have this fixed fee what was that kind of aha moment that you got to well at the beginning i sort of saw how people reacted when you told them it would be this much an hour how long would it take well i don't know i have to first finish the case People were not that comfortable with that. People were not that trusting. People were not that willing to go ahead. When you tell them, this is the price, this is what I'm going to do. If you need me to do more, we'll talk about it at that point. There'll be an additional fee, but you can stop at any time. All of a sudden, that sort of changed everything. And now they were, their comfort level went up to the point where they were willing to go ahead and register and pay and try it because they were happy with the result. They were happy with the fact that if they didn't want to continue, they can pull the plug, so to speak, at any time. How did you determine your pricing when you first went out and you're creating the online packages? 
Well, that was difficult. It was trial and error and we sort of had to see what value we were giving the clients and we had to give a price that was good enough for them to want to jump in. But uh, at the same time, enough for us to be able to make a living out of it. So we wanted the price to be attractive enough to be able to attract the people that thought they couldn't otherwise afford a lawyer. How long ago did you start this business? Six years ago. Have you changed the price from six years ago to today? One time. Halfway through recently? I would say maybe four years ago. And we haven't changed our price in the last uh, few years. Now, as as you're thinking of it, you know, as you, you know, you, I don't know what the trigger was to change that price for the first time, but do you have kind of a, an idea in your head of how many years should go by before you alter your pricing or your package terms? We really go with the market and we go with the clients and we sort of see what people, you know, we listen to the feedback. We listen to our client feedback and we sort of gauge it from there and we see what, you know, where the threshold is and where the breaking point is. And we always want to be below that breaking point. More on marketing technology and other subjects with Avi Levy and Bernard Lévy-Soussan of Ticket 911, our guest this evening on Today's Entrepreneur. Plus, a little bit later, Patrick Sullivan joins us uh, on spotting fraud in your business. For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, Chartered Professional Accountants and Business Advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back to Today's Entrepreneur, a program about the entrepreneurial spirit that drives Quebec business. My name is Dan Delmar, along with FL Montreal's Josh Miller. In a little bit, we'll talk to FL's Patrick Sullivan about how to spot fraud in your business. But first, we're talking uh, with Avi Levy and Bernard Levy-Soussan of Ticket 911. Josh, another example of someone uh, working in the pri- in the public sector, finding a systematic flaw there and uh, creating a whole business out of it. No question. But and, and as you created a business, you guys started about six years ago. Um, you know, from scratch, out of an idea. Let's talk a little bit about the marketing you did from the outset until today. What did you do at first to get your name ticket ticket nine one? Was it was it always ticket nine one one from the beginning? Yes, yes, it was always ticket nine one one ca from the beginning. And what we started to do at first, if I may, is we started uh, in print ad. And How did st- that work for you? We started various things. It worked okay, but it wasn't really. It worked okay. But we were looking for something more, and then we switched to radio at one point, and I think that's where we found uh, our home. <laughs> that's where we found our, our our area to advertise, and that's sort of what clicked, I think, with our clients the most. You still use radio today? We still do. Now, okay, now what about the online, the, the social media, the Facebook, the, the Twitter? Uh, do you use that? Yes, we do. We, we do, absolutely. I mean, from the beginning also, we've used Google Ads and Google AdWords, uh, it, it's important. So, do you do you believe in in paying to boost your 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 posts and all that? Like the Google AdWords are paying for uh, for. Uh, there are boost? various things that we do, but you de- we definitely advertise online as well as on the radio because I think it's part and parcel of our business uh, being an online business. Did you do that from the get go? Like you started with radio and print at the beginning. How far into your business did you? get into the the kind of the social media or online marketing was also fairly early from the beginning yeah from the beginning having come from a background like i say from the internet and and whatnot i sort of knew the value and i saw the value there and i knew that that was important to get started whereas most lawyers to be perfectly honest with you were not doing that at all and when i spoke to bernard about it he looked at me like i was a little bit crazy but having come from that world i understood the value and uh, and you know what it would bring in 
Now, do you do that on your own? Did you hire outside parties? Uh, how much was, was kind of in-house versus using third parties? We started a little bit on our own, but very quickly uh, we gave it to various parties outside to handle because it just grew uh, to be too much. Do you still use the same people today as you used a few years ago? We change them around every once in a while to make sure they keep on performing. <laughs> Uh, but they follow your direction. It's really... Uh, they do, and they give us some of their own advice as well. Of course, we listen to them uh, being the experts, uh, but we just put in our own, input and we, our own input, and we sort of like to see what works. It's trial and error. It's tweaking a lot of the time. How much time do you guys spend personally on social media and trying to help uh, you know, get followers and all that? Do you put in your own personal time with that? We or do. You will rely really on the third party. We we uh, we do put in some time. We do uh, you know think up some different campaigns and whatnot. We're definitely active in our own marketing campaigns. That's for sure. A lot of it does come from us, and uh, we definitely listen to the experts as well that have advice for us. Now, part of marketing, there's no question, especially the online. There's analytics. There's really measuring who's who's following you and who's online and who's opening, who's clicking through. Do you guys? Uh, ma do you measure what happens online? In the Absolutely. Clippers? It's very, very important. And we do this very on a regular basis. Is there anything, is there any trends that you've seen over the years or you, or is it really been pretty consistent from the beginning? I'd say that it'd be, it was, it's pretty consistent. It's a slow, sort of a slow and steady pace and it just keeps going up and up and up. And basically uh, word of mouth and our good work definitely is what does a lot of it and is what brings back a lot of the clients. I mean, you could advertise as much as you want. If you don't end up getting the results at trial, you're not gonna get the clients and you're not gonna get the repeat clients. So does that mean you have tested, like like what works for you online? Do you have testimonials? Do you have, you know, results or stats? Do you, do you share any of that? I mean, to be honest with you, word of mouth seems to work very well. Uh, we do share uh, to a certain extent some of our testimonials or some of our stories when we can, uh, mainly anonymous, obviously, because we can't give the details. But I'd say word of mouth is our best tool. I mean, once you've made a client happy, they go and tell five other people. There's no amount of advertising that can be as convincing as the person that you saved. Now, we'll switch gears a little bit. It's just not the two of you guys. You do have a group of people and a team around you. Uh, how many people are you today at Ticket 911? We're probably between 15 to 20 employees. But at the very beginning, it was just the two of you. Pretty much. Yes. W was there was there an, an evolution, a, a very steady growth over the past six years, or were there, was there a spike along the way? It was a regular pace increase in terms of, uh, of employees. Now, how do you how do you maintain... Are you still informal with your group? You know, it's one thing if you're five, seven people. As you get to, you know, 15, 20 people, do you feel you have to be a little bit more formal in your policies? And, I mean, not to, you know, you guys are a couple of lawyers. You have, you follow the rules to a, to a great degree. Do you make those rules for your people as well? Well, like any well-rounded business, you have to have procedures in place. But we are very close to our employees and uh, it works very well for us. You guys are responsible for hiring and firing? Yes, to a certain extent, yes, we are. You have a right-hand person that, that helps you with that? or uh, We do, but we vet all of the candidates that come through to get hired, especially... Uh, lawyers. Yeah. So if, when, it, when it comes to lawyers, it's us making the decision, basically. So what do you look for in a lawyer? Is it only skill, or do you look for other attributes? We look for other attributes. We look for a little bit uh, the attributes that we have in ourselves. So we look for go-getters. We look for people that are motivated, and we look for people that want to make a difference. And uh, it's not always easy to find. 
Uh, no, for sure not. Uh, what what about culture within your within your firm? Have you maintained the same culture uh, from the two of you to now you know close to twenty of you all together? I think that we can say that we have. We like to keep it very friendly, very homey. It's a nice atmosphere. You know, we spend time with the employees. We do, uh, we spend, we do activities with them. You know, you want to bond and sort of build a nice team. What activities has kind of worked for you guys that have, that really resonated with the, with your team? Oh, we've taken the team from axe throwing down the street, you know, to, uh, you know. You're, just, you're not in front of the axe, right? <laughs> no, no, we try not to be. But all kinds of activities that sort of release the stress and sort of build a closer, tighter team. Because we do work uh, together with them and it is quite stressful at times. So it's nice to be able to just, you know, relax with the same team as well. Now, we only have a couple of minutes left before our next break, but... Technology. You know, you guys built a website. You built the the online platform. Uh, you guys are not programmers. You you come from the law field, the law background. How was it dealing with the programmers, the the online, the web the web developers? Again, thankfully, I came from a background where I had to deal with them previously, uh, making contracts and whatnot. So I sort of learned on someone else's watch how that works. And that probably saved us, you know, thousands of tens of thousands of dollars for sure. And uh, it definitely made us who we are today. I mean, most lawyers, like you say, don't have that frame of mind, don't think about building software or whatnot. And we sort of looked at the architecture of the platform and figured, you know, this is going to have to be able to carry us forward uh, when we have thousands of clients. And uh, If, uh, if somebody was building an online platform today, what would you tell them should be the first or second thing they should think about? Other I mean, than I come from a software background, so use use your knowledge. Then, what 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 do you think? You know, the first is it is it the behind you know the kind of the the, the behind the scenes aspect? Is it the front the user friendliness? Like, what would you? A, a bit of everything, I I, I think. But there's got to be like the first, like what are you, the, the guts? trick I think is really to get it all put together, to get the front end and to get the back end all put together. So it looks as one and it works as one and it, it flows nicely. So we did redo the website a few times to try to perfect that more and more each time we did it. But you didn't wait till it was perfect before you launched. No, you could never do that because we would have never launched. We'd still be waiting. So the bottom line is that you do have to at one point say, okay, I'm going to start and you've got to, you know, put the, you know, put the gears into motion, so to speak. Do you still tweak it today? Absolutely. We definitely still tweak it today. Still have the same developers today as you did back then? No, we don't. We've changed developers a few times along the way for different reasons, but we're definitely still tweaking it. And I think we'll be tweaking it for as long as we're behind the scenes because it's never going to be perfect. And there's always some corrections and some modifications and some ameliorations you could make. We started off just doing Quebec, the province of Quebec. Then we added Ontario. Then we added New York State because all of those go together. If you're a Quebec driver and you have a reciprocal agreement with those different states or provinces, you need to be able to deal with them. Whereas before, the lawyers in Quebec would basically deal with the cases in Quebec. And if, you know, a Quebecer got a ticket in New York, he had to go find a law firm in New York that would maybe speak French to them. We fix that problem. We cater to that market. Coming up, we'll have uh, Patrick Sullivan talking about how to spot theft and fraud in your business. Avi Levy and Bernard Levy-Susan here with us of Ticket 911. We'll have their one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur on the way as well. Yeah. 
For professional advice with a personal touch, consult F.L. Fuller Landau, chartered professional accountants and business advisors. Click on flmontreal.com. Welcome back. Inspiring stories from outstanding business people, Dan Delmar and FL Montreal's Josh Miller with you for today's Entrepreneur. And this evening, we're chatting with Avi Levy and Bernard Levy-Sousson of Ticket 911. We will have their one piece of advice for today's Entrepreneur on the way. But first, we welcome back Patrick Sullivan, a trustee at FL, on uh, spotting fraud in your business. Welcome back, Patrick. Good evening, guys. How common is this, uh, Josh and, and Patrick, that, that they have organizations that have a serious or significant fraud problem? You know, unfortunately, it's it's probably more frequent than anybody likes. Uh, you, you have you have employees there so often or so for such a long period of time, you can get a little complacent, a little comfortable. But really, we'll turn to Patrick, who's uh, you know with with X number of bankruptcies over the years that you've seen, with X number of of jaws for for banks, and going in to look at all these figures. Uh, you must have seen some interesting interesting files and cases over the years. So, what what would you say are some of the areas that entrepreneurs should look for? Uh, I, I would say the number one area is you have to know your people, you have to know your employees, and you have to be able to identify sudden changes in your employees. You know, all of a sudden, your your people that normally were nine-to-fivers, and all of a sudden, they decide that they're going to be working late at night. Uh, you see that their lifestyle, all of a sudden, is goes beyond their earnings, uh, and obviously, when you want to implement changes, they're, they're on, on the financial end, or there's going to be strong objection to implementing changes. And sometimes it goes as far as drug abuse or gambling or people that are gambling on their computers during the daytime. Uh, those are the typical indicators that problems are going to either start or they have started already. Because you can't always know that when they when they walk into a job. I mean, yes, you should, I guess, do as much background checks as you should before. Dep- depending on the position that you're, you're the, of the individual, obviously you will do either a thorough background check, but you know, things evolve in life. People change, people get divorced, people go through tough times financially or whatever. And obviously you have to be able to see those things happening. Uh, I, I, I like to say the key thing for uh, uh, an owner-operator is, you know what, I want to see my bank rec and I want to see my return checks and I want to see my deposit book uh, or informal audits, internal informal audits where n- nobody knows it's coming, but it'll come. But not many entrepreneurs actually go through those steps or efforts. People have a tendency to become careless after a while because obviously there's the trust factor they like to trust their people and uh you know people that have been around you for so many years you you trust them with your wallet but you have to be able to monitor to what degree their lifestyles have changed over the years and are they you know are they truly honest to you or are is there something behind the scene is there are there some common theft areas that you've seen over the years, whether, you know, it's been uh, made up suppliers or made up employees or payroll or what have you? There, I've seen, I've, oh, actually, I've seen quite a number of made up supplier deals. Uh, I always say the, the one that signs the PO is not the one that'll book it uh, in as much as the one that, you know, receives the, uh, the receivable checks is not necessarily the one that's going to be doing the deposits. 
I, it, it, there's so many ways, uh, you know, that people can steal from you. Inventory is the typical. Yeah, it's not just the finance guys that can steal. You can have stuff not. walk out the walk out the warehouse door. I mean, in uh, I mean the. the the, the inventory can always walk out the door. So what do you do? You're going to implement ca a camera system to be able to monitor that or at least to give the impression that you're monitoring your inventory because, yeah, stuff goes out the back door. Uh, Would you suggest that, that entrepreneurs have the odd spot check from a third party? Say, you know what, somebody's coming in to count the inventory. Somebody's coming in to, to verify or do a payroll audit. I, I think that the safest way is exactly that having a third party come in that's non-biased that will do a report to management uh either inventory checks we see that obviously certain banks will require that depending on the type of financing that you have that there will be regular inventory checks and shrinkage is always the concern obviously if you're in the retail business you're either getting shrinkage because customers are stealing you or your employees are stealing you so it's just a question of seeing which is stealing you the most uh and yeah inventory checks are are a definite must in in many areas especially if it's high volume inventory that you're carrying i mean it sounds like really entrepreneurs if you want to be careless you want to be complacent you want to get too comfortable with your with your team members with your employees then there is theft that is absolutely possible you'll have to suffer that Excellent. Thanks very much, Patrick. And as we approach the last moment of our show, as we do every week, we'll turn to Abby and Bernard and ask each one of you, what would be your one piece of advice for today's entrepreneur? Uh, so my dad, my late dad gave me a lot of advices in life. And one that stuck by me was to love what you do. And if you do love what you do, you won't feel that you're working a day in your life. Excellent. Thank you, Bernard. And Abby? You've got to have a dream and you've got to be able to go after that dream and you have to monitor your progress on a regular basis to evaluate where you're at because if you don't have a dream, you'll end up working for somebody that does have a dream. Excellent. Uh, thanks very much, guys. Uh, def definitely pertinent words of advice. Thank Abby you. Levy and Bernard Levy-Susson of Ticket911.ca. Thanks for dropping by, guys. Uh, Patrick Sullivan on uh, from FL on Spotting Fraud in Your Business. Thanks again, Patrick. And back next Monday night, Josh will be away, but Michael Newton will be here uh, on Today's Hatley, Entrepreneur. With, with the Hatley Apparel Company. Excellent. Talking close next week on Today's Entrepreneur. See you next Monday night at 7.